Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, tonight I want to spend some time telling you what you want to hear. That may seem very strange. Uh, Bible warns us to, you know, we doesn't just hear what we want to hear, but the whole theme or the whole um, message that I'm hoping to convey is that we can have an awareness of our propensity to hear what we want to hear. So this is the purpose and the outcome of what I want to share with you this morning. We're going to look at a scriptural example of, of when and how this takes place and some of the things that the Lord tells us to remedy this problem. But I think it's good that we all start off with the realization that we tend to hear what we want to hear. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a scripture we're very familiar with. And over the past few weeks, Pastor Andreas has been ministering on the subject of faith. Last week in particular, he spoke a message entitled, Seeing the Invisible, Believing the Impossible. Now, that, the message that he preached was a powerful message, and it was a good message, because when Pastor Andreas speaks on the subject of faith, we know that he does so from a deep level of experience, having walked out this journey over many, many years. Uh, we, we, we know that this is a man who has seen God come through to him, through for him, according to his word, time and again. But we also know that this is a man who from the moment he was born again, his life and his mission in life changed and was aligned with the will and the purposes and plans of God for his life. And there is a bit of a, an allusion to where we're going to end up today. But I do want to say this to you folks. God is bound to honor his word. So when God makes a promise, he honors that promise. When God puts and sets out his word and he speaks his word to us, God, the Bible says, is not a man that he should lie. God is bound to his word. He has exalted his word. However, God is not bound to honor our misunderstanding or misinterpretations or imaginations pertaining to his word. He is only bound to honor what he says and what he means. Very often, we see through the lenses of our own imagination and our own presumption. And unfortunately, in ministry and, and being a pastor for, for a few years, I have seen too often where this takes place in people's lives, where we presume to have heard from God, where folks hear or they act according to what they wish or hope God will say. I don't know about you, but have any of you parents found that your, chen, your, your children tend to hear only what they want to hear? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe your spouse only hears what they want to hear. There's something in all of us that, that, that goes that way. And believe it or not, the bad news is, folks, this is not something any of us grow out of. In fact, the older we get, the more set in our ways we become the more we hear what we want to hear, because our, our perceptions become more and more established. 
Now, I want to bring you into a story this evening. If you want to turn in your Bible so long to the book of Second Chronicles, we're going to be reading predominantly from the New Living Translation on this uh, portion of Scripture. But the book of Second Chronicles, I want to just give you the context of where this, where we're going to pick up the story um, to look into this principle. You're all aware that under David, the kingdom of Israel and was, was united. There was peace on all fronts. David inferred the kingdom over to his son Solomon, who, contrary to God's command, married women from the, the, the countries and the cultures all around. And what he allowed them to do was to worship their gods, to build altars and high places to their gods. And at the end, Solomon himself began worshiping these various gods. And so what happened as, as a result uh, under Solomon's sons, war broke out and Judah broke away from Israel because Judah wanted nothing to do with these foreign gods. And so we're going to pick up the story with the reign of two kings. Judah was under the rulership of King Jehoshaphat and Israel was under the rulership of King Ahab. Now concerning King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Bible has to say about him. Second Chronicles 17, 3-6. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, God established the kingdom in his hand. And all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images of Judah. What a beautiful testimony. I don't know about you. I would love those kinds of words to be written about me. His heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Now, the very next chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 18 is where the story begins. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading tonight. We're actually going to read the entire chapter. And as I said, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. At, at moments, I will go out and come back in. But I want us to look at the story and I want us to draw some, some lessons and some principles out of it. So let's start at the very beginning. Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem and he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab who had prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep and goats and cattle for the feast. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth-Gilead. So let's just pause for a moment. Culturally, in-laws in, in Eastern or Middle Eastern cultures are a lot closer than I think in-laws are in our Western culture. Um, in Greek, there's even a word for them. There's a simbetero and a simbetera, which is the male and the female of somebody who I am now related to and am one family with through marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. And so Jehoshaphat, got the, the Jehoshaphat and Ahab's kids hook up. And there's a, a few years later, they come down and Ahab tries to convince Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover a city which he had lost and which he obviously did not have the strength in numbers or military power to take back by himself. Verse 3. Uh, sorry, verse... Yeah, three. Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? King Ahab of Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are as one. 
and my troops are your troops. We will certainly join you in battle. And then Jehoshaphat added, but let's first find out what the Lord says. And I think this is just the Old Testament way of saying, yeah, sounds like a good idea, but let me pray about that first. Wise thing to do. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, 400 of them, and asked them, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? Now let's pause for a moment. What prophets are we talking about here? What gods were, uh, the, were Israel worshipping? They still had the Baals. They still had these other gods. And so he calls 400 prophets. And they all replied, yes, go right ahead. God will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now, this is great. I love this. I don't like this other prophet, Jehoshaphat, because this guy, he always prophesies trouble for me. Jehoshaphat replies, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what this guy has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now, King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of him. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Kenana, made some iron horns and proclaimed, This is what the Lord says, With these horns you will gore the Arameans to death. I just think that's hilarious. You can almost see the showboating. He comes with these things and it's all bravado. And here is this, you will use these things and with them you will gore him to death. 11, verse 11, all the other prophets agrees. Yes, they said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success. I love this. Talk about prompting, the, leading the witness, prompting the prophet. But Micaiah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what my God says. So when Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, oh yes, go up and be victorious, for you will have victory over them. <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm loving this, it's like a farce. But the king replied sharply, how many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? And then Micaiah told him, in a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you, said the king of Israel to Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. And then Micaiah continued, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who can entice King Ahab of Israel to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? So we see here, God has some kind of agenda as well. 
There were many suggestions. And finally, a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this? The Lord asked. And the spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. You see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. Now, let's pause for a second, because this was a very interesting thing. And as I was doing some study on this portion of this, this, this thing that happened in heaven, that, that God would somehow send a spirit to deliberately deceive, God had this agenda. I found, as I was studying this, under uh, th there's a website called EnduringWord.com, great Bible study resource that really breaks things down. And I want to read you some of the commentary that, um, that, that, that David Guzik, who puts this together, puts on this portion of Scripture. And he says, on his right hand and on his left, is what the, the Bible says, that all the armies of, of, of heaven were arrayed before God. Since the right hand was a place of honor, this may indicate that God spoke to the combined host of heaven, both faithful and fallen angelic beings. Some people forget that Satan and his fellow angels have access to heaven. If you consider Job 1 verse 6, as well as Revelation 12 10, I'm not going to go into those now. There is a well-intentioned but mistaken teaching that God can allow no evil in his presence, meaning that Satan and other fallen angels could not be in his presence. These passages show that God can allow evil in his presence, though he can have no fellowship with evil, and one day all evil will be removed from his presence. So that what they are saying here is, there is, there is this idea, and this is this scholar's interpretation of the scripture, that before God, he's, he's, he's talking to all of these beings and saying, what are we going to do about this situation? And it's not just his own angelic host there. He also says, who will persuade King Ahab to uh, King Ahab, uh, Ahab of Israel to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? God wanted to bring judgment against Ahab. And so he asked this group of the host of heaven for a volunteer to lead Ahab into battle. Apparently, one of the fallen angels volunteered for the task. Since Ahab wanted to be deceived, God would give him what he wanted, using a willing fallen angel who worked through willing, unfaithful prophets. And I think the thing that we need to understand in this, as we study this picture, is that deep down in his heart, Ahab wanted to be deceived. And this isn't even some kind of some subversive want to be, de of, 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 to be deceived. Ahab was overtly wanting to be deceived. He said, I don't want to hear what this guy says because he never says anything good about me. I want to hear what I want to hear. And the point that I'd like us to realize tonight is that God will allow you to hear whatever it is you want to hear. And the truth is that your own heart determines what you are open to hear. And this is why Jesus repeatedly says, he who has ears, let him hear. Stay where you are, but I'll read you a verse out of Jeremiah very quickly. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. This is what the prophet says concerning your heart and mine. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. 
Now, folks, all of us who have been around Christians, all of us who have been around people who embrace any form of ideology or position and stake their name to it, we have all been let down, disappointed, surprised by those who are not who they say they are, who are not, in other words, they are pretending to be something, but the truth of what's in their heart undermines the perception they are trying to create. Let's carry on back into our scripture in uh, Second Chronicles. Let's go on from verse 23. Then after This is now after Micaiah the prophet has given this word. Then Zedekiah the son of Canaanah walked up to Micaiah and slapped him across the face. Since when did the Spirit of the Lord leave Leave me to speak to you, he demanded. And Micaiah replied, You will find out soon enough when you are trying to hide in some secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to my son Joash. Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison and feed him nothing but bread and water until I return safely from the battle. But Micaiah replied, if you return safely, it will mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added to those standing around, everyone, mark my words. I think this response from the prophet is very interesting, and it reminds me of something. I'll, I'll, I'll share it in a moment. This prophet isn't trying to defend himself against other prophets. He's not, gonna try, he's not trying to come up trumps. He's not trying to show why his prophecy is accurate and theirs are a lie. All he says is, we will certainly see. If the Lord is, if the Lord is, if, if you, if the king falls, then God has spoken through me. If he doesn't, he hasn't spoken through me. And he is absolutely okay with that. You know, I've learned something uh, journeying with Pastor Andreas all these years. Um, and, and actually, I've learned a few things, let's be honest. One of those things is this. If somebody comes to him and asks him for spiritual advice, what is the Lord saying on something? I have seen this man faithfully pray, wait on God, and bring back an impression, a word uh, concerning the matter that was brought to him. However, when I hear some, when I have seen people come to him and say, Pastor Andreas, this is what God says, his general response is, okay. Whether he agrees or not is irrelevant. Unless somebody's asking, do you have an impression? Do you agree or something to that extent? But very often, as soon as somebody starts saying the words, the Lord led me or the Lord told me, or this is what I believe God said, Pastor Andreas will always say, okay. And I've learned why. It's because that person has already decided what they've heard and they will only hear according to what they want to hear at that point. Their mind has already been made up. Let's, and this is, this is even what's, what's happening here. This prophet is not trying to change anybody's mind. He's given his word. He's given his opinion. They disagreed. And so he says, okay. Let's move on to verse 28. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. Now this really boggles my mind. King Jehoshaphat asks for the prophet of God to give guidance. The prophet of God comes in, he gives the word of God, and he doesn't follow it. What was the point of asking for it in the first place? But it reveals something. 
it reveals that as much as we're looking at Ahab, who wants to hear what he wants to hear so that he can do what he wants to do, it's clear that Jehoshaphat too wanted to go up with Ahab. This was his buddy. And he clearly had more influence over Jehoshaphat than the word of God did. So he, in his own heart, already had decided. Because this is my, this is my close relation, I'm going to help him and I'm going to do what he wants. But it gets worse. Verse 29, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, As we go into battle, I will disguise myself so no one will recognize me, but you wear your royal, royal robe. You wear your royal robes. Try saying that ten times fast. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. And this just boggles my mind even further. Ahab is happy to throw his friend under the bus to save his own skin, and Jehoshaphat goes along with the plan. Verse 30, Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So when the, Ar the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted. But Jehoshaphat called out, and the Lord saved him. God helped him by turning the attackers away from him. As soon as the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, they stopped chasing him. An Armenian soldier, however, sorry, Aramean soldier, however, <laughs> randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of the chariot. I'm badly wounded. Battle raged all day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans. In the evening, just as the sun was setting, he died. Now that's where we're going to end reading from the book of Second Chronicles for tonight. That's the story. But folks, when I read this, I realize Jehoshaphat got lucky. Because of what he had done to purify Judah uh, of the foreign gods, God spared him. He cried out to God, God spared him. But if you read, go and carry on reading into chapter 19, you will see that God was not pleased with him for partnering with this wicked king Ahab. Even so, despite, it's not like he did it in ignorance. He willfully chose. Now, I want to say to you today, every one of us, and I really mean every one of us, have to contend with the struggle between the desires and pursuits of our own heart that seek to lead us astray and thwart what God wants to do in our lives. There are things in us, desires for pleasure, which we, we, which we can say are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. Desires to do things, to see things, to achieve things that give us a framework through which we hear what God or through which we interpret the word of God and what God is saying to us in such a way that it feeds into or gives favor towards the things that we really and truly desire within our own hearts. If you remember the parable of the sower uh, in Mark chapter 4, as the sower scatters the seed, the third kind of soil always intrigues me because I see that this is so prevalent, not just within the church, but how how. How, how strong the propensity is for all of us to go along this, this avenue. Mark 4, 18 and 19. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. 
But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And what that means is that I can sit Sunday after Sunday and listen to good preaching. I can read my Bible every single day. But if my heart is caught up in other pursuits, if my attention and that which, which, which I'm given to is not that word and the fulfilling of that word, it literally, those desires and those pursuits choke that word and they make it unfruitful. It accomplishes nothing in our lives. The truth is that we can't have a heart that seeks to pursue our own desires and dreams for our lives and still remain faithful to God and His Word and will for us at the same time. We either live our lives for God or we live them for ourselves. And we can't compartmentalize these. If we try to compartmentalize this, what ends up happening is we live a double life. We become hypocrites, number one. And number two, we end up using God, using Scripture to try and accomplish the desires of our hearts rather than using Scripture to change and form the desires of our hearts. And this is what James talks about in James chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read uh, up to from verse 1 through to verse 8. He says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it, and even when you ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Folks, Let's not be pious. We all want what will give us pleasure. Because pleasure is pleasurable. Not all pleasure is evil. Not all pleasure is bad. But the pursuit of pleasure is a fool's game. I don't know if you've realized that piece of chocolate cake. Oh, delicious. Gives me pleasure in the moment. But tomorrow I'm going to want another one. <laughs> I'm never satisfied. And no matter how much I pursue pleasure, it's an elusive thing. Because what satisfies me today won't satisfy me tomorrow. James goes on to say, you adulterers. Uh, New King James says, adulterers and adulteresses. In other words, you are being unfaithful to the commitment you have made. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and and the world. Now, this verse of scripture is written not to unbelievers, is not written, written to those who need to be saved. This is written to the church, to believers. And he is saying to them, you need to repent because you have become caught up in this world and in the affairs of this world and in the, the, the pursuits 
of your own selfish interests. And as a result, change is necessary. And verse 7 is James's solution. Humble yourselves before God. Come close to God and he will come close to you. In other words, make a willful, deliberate decision to say, God, I realize something in me. That what is occupying my mind, that what is occupying my pursuit, that the things that are constantly on my mind actually are not pertaining to my relationship with you or the, or, or, or the kingdom purposes that you have. Jesus put it this way. He said in Luke 9 verse 23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, and take up their cross daily, and follow me. And so that is his solution to this situation that we all find ourselves in. To deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to willingly follow him. Wherever it is that he may want to lead us. That is what lordship is all about, isn't it? I've observed that those who truly desire to discover God's will and purposes for their lives don't really struggle too much for faith. I want to say that again. Those who truly desire to discover and walk out and, will and live in the will of God and His plans and purposes for their lives, they generally don't struggle too much for faith. Why? Because all they want to do is be obedient to God's word. So when God comes and says something, their heart's desire and the posture of their heart is obedience. They don't have a hidden agenda. They've paid the price already. Their old man and their desires for these pleasures has been crucified. And humbly, they simply ask the Lord and look to him. And he provides wisdom. And he, as, he, as he provides his word, as he gives revelation knowledge, these individuals believe it and they obey. They act on it. And I've noticed that these individuals don't struggle for faith. However, I've also noticed that those who are harboring ulterior motives are constantly trying to find the next verse, the next teaching, the next prophetic word that will somehow unlock the faith that they need to achieve their heart's desire. Have you noticed that too? What's the next prophetic word? What's the next thing? And what we tend to do is much like Ahab does. We reject those words. We reject the things that don't line up with what it is we want to achieve or what we want to see. And we embrace and wholeheartedly wrap our hearts around the things that we do desire. Let me give you an example. The Bible is so full of things that seem to be contradictory, but are not. They're two sides of the same coin. Have, I cannot see how anybody can read the Bible and not believe that God desires prosperity. And when I'm taking prosperity now, let's just bring it down to financial prosperity for his people. The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. And in blessing, I will bless you, he says. To the, he says, in giving, when you give to the measure you give, it will be given back to you. Press down, good measure, shake, pouring over will be poured out into your bosom. And there's so many prayers in Philippians, in 2 Corinthians, about sowing seed and God blessing and His abundant grace and provision. 
for you and I as his people. God is a generous father. He's a loving God. He loves to provide for his children. I believe it gives delight to his heart. However, we cannot just look at those scriptures and separate and pull out of the Bible the scriptures where Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it abides alone. In other words, unless you are willing to give up your life. We cannot look over the scriptures which says, that say, do not store up for yourselves riches on earth where, moth, where thieves steal and, 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 and rust and moths corrupt. And No, no, no. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For you cannot serve both God and mammon. We cannot look uh, to overlook the scriptures where God says, give generously to the poor. We cannot overlook the story of the rich young ruler where, God, where Jesus said to him, go sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. You see, we tend, and you will see this in the body of Christ, you will see those who are strongly pro-biblical prosperity, for example. And you see, as, as a result, there are those who are strongly anti-biblical prosperity. I think we need to be have a balanced approach and understand that God is the God of all provision. He is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one who provides for his children all that they need spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and financially. But we also need to understand that Jesus is the one who calls us to a journey of the cross, the journey of the Via Dolorosa, of laying down our lives, our dreams, and the things that we want, our our, our right to comfort, our right to, to having what we want, so that we may follow Him, and so that His kingdom may come, that we may seek first His righteousness and His kingdom. And then He says, all these other things will be added to you. And I'm bringing this word to you today because I want to highlight to you something that is prevalent within all of us that is in the pursuits that are truly driving our lives that are deep down inside of us. We tend to approach the word of God in such a way that we look for that which will give us the answers for what we need. And I believe what we need to be doing is looking to the word of God for the answers to how we can align our lives with what God desires and what God needs. And I'll say this to you. When we discover those things, and they are unique and they are personal to each and every one of us, we will not struggle for faith. We will not struggle to trust God, to believe Him for the grace we need to do the hard things He expects of us and to make the sacrifices He desires of us. We will not need to struggle to believe God for the provision and the grace needed. Because there will be something in our hearts which pursues His desires for us with more fervency and passion than we, are, than we even pursue the own, our own desires and the things me, we may want for our lives. This is, this is a wrestle that I believe we all have. And I think our motivation when we approach the Word of God makes all the difference. So I want to say to you today, consider what it is that you are believing God for. What is your faith at work for and why? What is the reason? If it all revolves only around your own personal well-being, you might want to stop and ask God for his opinion on the matter. I'm not suggesting for one second that God is not 
caring of your personal needs. He knows your circumstances. He desires to meet your needs. Bible is clear on that. But what I want to help you avoid is the disappointment that comes from presumption. I've just seen too many people fall into that trap. One of the wonderful ways that God helps us in this is he puts us into spiritual families where there is spiritual leadership around us who are able to help us to discern God's will, to discern what, is, what, what it is we believe the Lord is saying to us. This has been a place of great blessing for me many, many times in my life. Many times, Pastor Andreas has sent me to the Word or sent me to the Lord to go and say, Michael, I'm not going to tell you what to do in this situation. Go and hear from God. But also, I have learned that it is a wonderful blessing. It is a place of deep privilege to be under a covering where I can bring my impressions to somebody who will tell me the truth according to the Word of God, not according to what I want to hear. Good friends, good spiritual fathers, good oversight will do that for you. They will tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear. A few, it wasn't long ago where Pastor Andreas gave me a word that I want to tell you was contrary to what I believe I had heard from God. And I had to wrestle with God in prayer. Why? Because I have seen over the years how this man's word and his impressions from the Lord have been uh, uh, have, have steered and guided me along the journey. However, I also felt as though I'd heard from God. And so I'm stuck in a paradox. I'm, there's a dichotomy. I, I've, got, I've got to sort the situation out. And I went to prayer and I fasted three days. And on the third day, there was a breakthrough and God shone a light. And he didn't say, you didn't hear from me. He didn't say you heard wrong. All he said was, I want you to follow the advice of your spiritual father. That's it. I want to say, folks, this takes humility. Because my will has to die in those moments. And your will will have to die in these moments. But this is the journey of consecration. This is the journey of drawing nearer to God and having our lives be led by the word and by the spirit of God. This is what protects us from being like both Ahab who only want to hear what we want to hear, and also from being like Nebuchadnezzar, who willfully go along with the flow, who partner up with our buddies and our friends, who go along with them despite our own consciences because of our relationship or for whatever strange reason. Strange reason. I, my desire for each and every one of you, and God's desire, is that you would walk in and discover the center, walk in the center of God's will, discover his plans for you, believe him according to those plans, and see how he will work. Look at what God did for Moses when he walked according to his plan. Look at what God did for Joshua and Joseph. And all, I mean, you just go and read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and all of those people who did what God required. Look at Gideon. He would never, he, for his desire was to hide away, but God had a different plan for him. Maybe what you are pursuing God for is not his, your, his plan for your life. <laughs> Maybe it's your desires. Spend the time seeking him, seeking his kingdom, obeying what he tells you to do. And you will find that as you do so, you will not have to work hard to muster faith to do it. Angus Buchan has a saying, 
When God orders a pizza, He pays. In other words, when He gives you an instruction, He will come through with all the grace and the provision you need to fulfill it. He will cause things to turn out in your favor, as, he has, as we can see so many examples of throughout Scripture. But again, as I said right at the beginning, as much as God is obligated and is bound to honor His Word, He is not bound to honor our misunderstanding, our presuppositions, or our imaginations of what we want to see happen through God's Word. Beloved, seek the Lord. May your convictions in Him and His call and His purpose for your life be strong. And you will find a faith that is resilient, that is persistent, and that is able to see you through to the very end. And you will find at that point that the blessing and the reward that God has stored for you because you chose to follow His plan for your life and not your own will far will supersede anything you could ever have imagined. God's plan for you is greater than anything you can come up with on your own or for yourself. It is way better than your own pleasure, your own fame, your own wealth. So I encourage you, avoid the traps. Don't just surround yourself with those who will tell you what you want to hear. Don't only gravitate to the scriptures that encourage you. Allow those that challenge you to, to challenge you deep within and establish your convictions according to the words of Scripture, not according to just that which, which makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.